have you take your Bibles back to Isaiah 53, Isaiah chapter 53. And last week we started a brief series of about four weeks in which we'll be looking at the gospel according to Isaiah. I'm sure you've heard of the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke and of John. But when we look at the book of Isaiah, it itself becomes a gospel, particularly when we come to Isaiah chapter number 53. And so we're going to look at Isaiah 53. Last week we looked at the rejection of the Lamb. He was despised and rejected of men. That's where the gospel starts. Our rejection, our rebellion against God. But today, I want to look at the redemption of the Lamb in verses 5 through 7. We'll pick up and start reading through verse verse number 1, read down through verse number 7, but it is well worth reading this beautiful passage of Scripture, the Gospel according to Isaiah chapter 53 verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Here we go. Here's our new part of our text this morning. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb. So he openeth not his mouth. The redemption of the Lamb. Let's pray. Ask God to open your hearts to hear God's Word. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. I thank you for the Word of God this morning and how Isaiah, through the telescope of prophecy, has brought Jesus near us. Not only near to Him some five or six hundred years before Jesus was even born, but He, he through His words, brings Jesus near to us this morning. Looking back toward His life, His death, His burial, and resurrection. Father, I pray that this prophecy would come uh, large in our hearts this morning. And may we see the great price that Jesus paid for us. The great redemption that is so desperately needed by us. God, I pray that if there are those this morning without the Lord Jesus, they've never embraced the redemption that is laid out in Christ Jesus, I pray that they would wholeheartedly lay hold of that this morning. Possess Jesus 
as their own lamb sacrificed for them. God, for us that do know him, oh, bring the scenes of Calvary near again. God, blow fresh wind over the fading coals and cold uh, coldness of our hearts, Father. Let it be ablaze again once in love for Jesus and what he's done for us. God, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. There's a story concerning a grave of a Civil War soldier that's buried on the grounds at Chickamauga Battlefield. You know where Chickamauga is, over the mountain there. And a story about this grave, a soldier that had fought at Chickamauga and actually died on that battlefield. He's buried there. Not long after the battle, as people kind of toured the, uh, the destructive field of Chickamauga, there was a young man found kneeling by a passerby at a newly dug grave. The passerby took note of him, saw the somber look on his face, and came over to the young man and, and stood beside him and asked him a question. Was, was this your brother that was killed in the war? The young man said, no, no, this was not my brother. Well, I suppose it might have been your father. No, it wasn't my father. Well, was it a friend? The young man said, well, yes and no. I never really knew the man all that well. I just met him around just once, one time. Then the young man began to tell his story of why he stood at that grave. He said, you see, it was my time to go to war and I already had two brothers in uh, the battle of the Civil War and, and knowing my family situation, this man from across town said he would take my place and, and go in my stead so that I could help my dad with the farm. He had uh, he'd just come, from the, come up to the front lines and he had just entered into the battle zone when this man that took my place was shot and killed by the enemy. I just came to pay my respects and to somehow express my thanks for what he did for me. Passerby nodded and went on his way. A little while later, the passerby came back by that same grave. The, the young man was gone, but he, he found the grave beautifully decorated with little wildflowers that traced the outside of the burial plot. And neatly arranged was a marker. And on that marker, this young man had, uh, had made a, a wooden cross. And on the marker, he had carved out these words across that cross. He died for me. The sentiment of that young man truly reveals to us the essence of the gospel. The Apostle Paul said as much when he defined the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3, Christ died for our sins. The principle of redemption, to buy back, to pay the penalty for someone else, lies at the heart of this passage in Isaiah 53. Biblical redemption is not a psychological treatment where one forgives themselves or or one that goes back and amends past wrongs. Redemption, as it's seen in the Bible, is to be 
brought under, out from under the crushing demands of God's holy law. Let's face it. You and I, we are guilty. We've broken God's law. We broke the demands of the moral law in our lying, our stealing, our covetous heart, our adulterous heart, in many of the all ten of the avenues of God's law. We've broken, decimated His law. In our replacement of the one true God with all the gods of this world, we violated God's And the penalty of the violation of God's law is death. Ezekiel 18.4 The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Romans 3.23 For the wages or the paycheck or the penalty of sin is death. But in the gospel, redemption is found in believing on Jesus. And what He has done for us on our, what He has done on our behalf. There is no greater depiction of Christ's redeeming work than these verses before us today. As we continue to make our way through Isaiah 53, I want us to see clearly how, and how pointedly this Shakespeare of the Old Testament displays the redemption of God through Christ Jesus. If you're here today and have never, have never received the redemption that is made available in Christ Jesus, well, today's your day. Today's the day that you can come and trust the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Every person in this room can experience that redemption of Jesus, the redeeming Lamb of God, by following three instructions and we'll be done. Number one, I want you to see the first instructions. We must relate to the debtors of redemption. Relate to the debtors of redemption. This is the starting point of redemption. You know, last week we saw the rejection of the Lamb, how that the, the majority of people rejected Him, but because of that rejection, it puts us in a need of redemption. You see, no one has ever been redeemed by the grace of God that didn't come first to the realization that they need to be redeemed. It just doesn't, you know, the gospel just doesn't come on you like the shivers. <laughs> it just doesn't come on and grab a hold of you. There is a, a, there is a realization, I believe, brought on by the Holy Spirit of God that I am in need of being redeemed. Something along the line that we realize that we have come, we are the ones at fault. Look back at verse number 4. It says, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrow. And yet we did esteem him, stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. We were ignorant of what Christ had done. We saw him being punished by God and said rightly so. We went over that last week. Jesus is getting what, I, what he deserves. We were blinded. It is not until... The arm of the Lord is revealed that we realize that we need to be redeemed. That we're the guilty party. That's why it's so hard to talk to people in our day and time. You know, all around us, people, society pumps people up 
so much. There is, there is no ownership for our sins. It's always somebody else's fault. It's some psychosis, some sickness. It's just not me being me and doing wrong. But the arm of the Lord being revealed shows us our need, our guilt before God. We're the ones in need of redemption. Notice, first of all, in this passage, we see the attitude of the sinner. Verse number 5. It says, and he was, uh, verse number four, verse number 5, he was wounded, what? For our transgressions. The, trans, the word transgressor really sums up the attitude of a sinner. It's a word that means revolt, rebellion, trespass. Uh, there, we were the ones that balled up our fist and shook it in the face of God and said, you're not going to dictate to me how I live my life. You're not going to tell me what to do. That was my, I was me in my college days. I'd had, enough, I'd had enough religion and preaching to choke a horse. And when I was let loose in college, buddy, nobody's going to tell me i got to go to church. Nobody's going to tell me how to live my life. I'll do what I please. It's that transgressive attitude, that revolt, that rebellion against God. We are the rebels by nature and by choice. Since Adam's fall in the garden, we have been crossing the lines of God's moral boundary. Romans 5.12, Wherefore is by one man's sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sin. Not only do I have it innately, but it, that, it's that innate sin, seed of sin uh, comes to its fruition, and I act upon it. This sin manifests itself as that rebellious spirit. I've been in going to the jails, you know, We've had a transition in leadership at the jail ministry that I've been a part of. And so there's been a lot of reflection through the years. And uh, I come to realize that it's been nearly, nearly 21 years I've been going to Catoosa County Jail. And in that time, I have seen so many reactions to the gospel. Yes, I have undoubtedly seen men weep tears. I saw one me, a man in the, I was preaching the sexual offenders, the lowest of the low, the ones that are kept back, the, uh, the most ill-redeemed ones that you could think of. They, they did all manner of wicked things. I'll never forget that service. There's an old man that it, had just recently been brought in. I'd preached the gospel. That man literally ran down the little makeshift place and all we have is a table with a little wooden thing in front of it. He dove under the table and Poured his heart out and put his trust in Jesus. But that, again, is one in 22 years. Most of the rejection is that, is that gritted teeth. And that jaw gets pronounced. You could see them teeth grind and it, that fist ball up while they're holding that seat in front of them. That, that angry, daggered look. I had one, more, one service at Hamilton County years ago. And I, the more I preached, the madder the guy got. His face got as red as a beet on my left about three quarters of the way back. And at the invitation, I had the men stand up. And I didn't, back then, I'd invite them to come down and put their trust in Jesus. That guy got up, dusted himself off, turned his back to me and crossed his arms. He had had enough. 
That's that rebellious attitude in the sinner. They may not do it in their actions, but it's there in their heart. They'd look at me and say, you've got no right to come here and tell me what to do. That's the heart of the transgressor. Notice not only the attitude, but the actions of the transgressor. Verse number 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Iniquities. You notice the word iniquities, it carries the idea of faults, errors, evils, wicked actions. This is not just an attitude. This is an attitude that has its fruition in what somebody does. We've broken God's law, actually broken God's law. It's not what we thought in our heart. It's what we did with our feet and hands and our mouth and what we've said and done. We have broken, we've rebelled against God's law, not only in our heart, but in what we've done. We've sinned against God. But in the blinded thinking of the lost, these infractions are small. Why, why you got to make a big deal out of a little lie? But the holy eyes of God, in His eyes, He sees sin very differently. Someone has well said, what is sin? Man calls it an accident, God calls it an abomination. Man calls it a defect, God calls it a disease. Man calls it a trifle, God calls it a tragedy. Man calls it a mistake, God calls it madness. Man calls it weakness, God calls it willfulness. Look at verse number 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone is turned into his own way. Here, the Isaiah uses the illustration of sheep wandering away. You know, sheep have to be closely watched. They tend to follow their stomachs from one patch of grass to another, not minding the danger that may surround them. They go from one place. They go from a, a familiar place of the fold where little by little they get further and further away and isolate themselves and in doing so become in danger of prowling wolves. You know, that's the actions of a sinner. The idea, hey, one, one joint's not going to hurt me, man. It's not going to kill me. One peep at porn, it's not going to hurt me. One, one little fling with someone, one little in-depth conversation with somebody at the office is not going not to make a big deal. Not going to have any effect on my life or my marriage. But all too many are the stories in which things get a lot farther than we ever intended them to go. Just like those sheep, we, we go astray, we get farther and farther away from the fold. We have to recognize this. This is what we do, this is the actions of a sinner. Notice also the aftermath. Verse number 4, surely He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. You know, if we're thinking, if we are thinking about the heart of a sinner and the hands of the sinner, then we also have to reflect on the heartbreak of a sinner. A heartbreak. You know, words like grief here means literally sickness or disease from the physical ailments that come from a life of sin to the corruption of the heart and the mind. Sin brings sickness. Man doesn't think much of sin. He's complacent in his natural aspects to live with sin. Not be a big deal. 
People kind of think of sin like a mosquito. Mosquito's not a big deal. It's more of a nuisance than it is anything. Do you realize that the mosquito kills more people than any other creature on this planet? It kills more than people than sharks, more than lions, more than bears, more than snakes combined. Why? By disease. In Africa, the average is that nearly a million children will die by the bite of the tiniest little creature, the mosquito. No, the griefs of sin are more than just a no, never mind. Just a nothing to be taken seriously. Then he talks about sorrows. The word sorrows means pain and suffering. Proverbs 13, 15. Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. Jerry McCauley is a story that I've, a person I've delved into his life story. He's one that started the first rescue mission in New York City, but Jerry McCauley's life was not always the life of a Christian. He was a thief, he was a drunk, and he was arrested and sent to Sing Sing prison. Back in those days when you went in Sing Sing, there was a sign that goes over the entrance of the door. This very proverb, Proverbs 13, 15. The way of the transgressor is hard. Jerry McCauley entered that, entered that prison in the 1800s and it was not what we have in the sanitized jails of our day and time. It was a, a hard life and broke him in that prison. Came to faith in Christ. Long story short, it, it, we see there that it's the suffering of sin. Suffering of sin is found when HIV is contracted. In the insatiable cravings of drug addiction. In marriages broken by adultery. In the guilt and regret of abortion. In the emptiness and shame of pornography. And on and on and on. The, he, has, he says that we are like sheep have gone astray. Verse number 4 it says he has borne our griefs and, and carried our sorrows. That's the recompense of sin. For us who know redemption, we must identify with the sorrow and with the shame and with the pain of sickness of sin. The old preacher, Dr. Larry Brown, put it best. You got to get sick and tired of being sick and tired of being sick and tired before you'll ever realize the redemption that's in Christ Jesus and what He's done for us on the cross. We've got to come to the point where we, we've got to come to the point to point out that we have a debt that we owe God. It's not my brother nor my sister, but it's me. It's me that's rebelled against God. It's nobody's fault but mine. The debtors of redemption. Notice also recognize the demand of redemption. Back to verse number 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Deep down within the heart of man who was created in the image of God. There is a sense of justice. An outrage over injustice. When wrong takes place, when laws are broken. We demand that someone be penalized. Penalize someone pay for the wrong. Somebody's got to be, somebody's got to pay for this wrong. This is rooted in our character. How that God, the Creator God, has made us. That that image of God on our heart. It's that longing for just justice. 
We want justice for everybody else. But we don't want it for us. We cannot bear the demands of God. That's why God sent a lamb. That's why God sent a substitute. Do you realize in Exodus chapter 20 when God set up the Ten Commandments? When He thundered from Mount Sinai, Thou shalt not have any other gods before Me. No graven images. Honor thy father and mother. Uh, keep the Sabbath and all the... Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not cover. When He gave that law, it wasn't two or three verses later He said, Okay, now I want you to build an altar. And I want you to burn a sacrifice. Because He knows we can't keep the law. We can't keep the law. There has to be a way for which the demands of God's law to be met and us still live and not bear the complete repercussions, the complete demands of punishment that God requires. And so He made a substitute. He made a redemption to be accomplished. And that person is Jesus. Notice in verse number 5, it says, it says, and He was wounded. First of all, He was killed. That word wounded there. You know, we often talk about, maybe you see it in movies, when someone is wounded, they, they might have got shot in the shoulder, uh, but they're not dead. They, they, they can't use their arm maybe, or they're shot in the leg. They, well, they've been wounded, but they're not dead. That's not the Bible meaning of this word wounded here. This word wounded here means to be a casualty. Bible commentator John Brown refers to this word as a battlefield term. It was used to address the condition of those that had died in battle who had been violently, severely, or mortally wounded. Here on the battlefield of God's justice where Jesus was mortally wounded for us. While we had an attitude of, I don't want you. And while we are assailing God's holiness by our sin, God giving His Son Jesus for us becomes our redemption. While we were gone astray, while we were yet sinners, Paul says, Christ died for us. Jesus took the bullet of God's wrath in my place. Jesus died for me. He gave His life for me. He, put, he, he was put to death for me. I am Barabbas. I'm the one that was let loose while he died. I was the guilty one. I was the murderer. I was the insurrectionist. I was the thief. And he took my place. The law cried out for sin's death penalty. But Jesus, who had no sin, laid down his life for me. Jesus was killed. His life was taken. Not, a, not only taken, but he was not only killed, but he was crushed. He was wounded for our transgression. Notice this. He was bruised for our iniquities. We think of bruise. You, you bump your hip on a table or you get your thigh caught on the chair. You might have a bruise there. That, that, that's, we would think that would be a light kind of word. But again, once again, the Bible, the Bible has more to say about this. This word translated Bruised, it means to, to pummel, to crush, to crush in the smallest shivers. Even as 
Not one bone of his body, even as though not one bone of his body was broken, yet he was crushed. The gospel accounts tell us of how Jesus was beaten by the Roman guards. Do you remember when he was taken to the garrison? They blindfolded Jesus. They, they took a, a strand of reeds and they would hit Jesus up against the head. They would smack him with their hands and, and then they would say, Hey, prophesy, you prophet. Tell us which one hits you. Again and again, they would pummel the Lord Jesus and beat Him. He was beaten so bad that the prophet Isaiah said in the chapter just previous to us, as it were, uh, as many as were astonished at thee, His visage was so marred more than any man, and His form more than the sons of men. Isaiah, looking through the telescope of prophecy, sees the Messiah beaten beyond recognition. He didn't look like a man. He was so pummeled. Beaten so badly, he was unrecognizable. Our sin, our rebellion, cost the Lamb of God his all. God does not deal lightly with sin. He doesn't tiptoe through our sin. If you ever want to see how serious God deals with sin, just look at the cross. Just look at what Jesus has had poured out upon Him. The infinite wrath of a holy God poured out on His Son at the cross. He was killed. He was crushed. He was chastened. Look at verse number 5. He was wounded, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. The word chastisement here means discipline. To reprove. It is the correction of a parent to a child for their good. This is not punishment. Punishment is leveled when there is wrong done, where there is guilt. There was no guilt in Jesus. He was an innocent lamb. Jesus took my chastening. He took my whooping. My dad, my dad when he was... Uh, when I was little, my dad had a belt, beautiful belt he bought somewhere on a trip to California, I think, and it had these Mustangs. Uh, you look at the belt. had his name, James, or uh, I think it was Brown, across the back of it. And on either side, it had these, these leather cutouts of Mustangs running together. You could almost hear them gallop when you looked at it. But I'm going to tell you what, when he whooped my tail in with that, I thought Mustangs was running all over my backside. My whooping felt like they were running all over me. Well, Jesus took my divine and eternal chastening, my whipping. He took my correction. He took my chastisement so that I might have peace with God, that I might be reconciled with God, that we might be redeemed. Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Romans 3 24, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, He took the punishment of my, of my high-handed crimes against God. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died my death. And because of that, because Jesus is the fulfillment of of my Romans 3.24, my Romans 6.23, then Jesus becomes my redemption and Romans 8.1. Therefore, 
now, there therefore now and there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I can stand in Romans 8.1 because Jesus died in Romans 5.8 and He paid the penalty of Romans 6.23 and He gave His life for my Romans 3.24. Jesus is my place of no condemnation. I'm not condemned anymore in the eyes of God. I have peace with God now. Now I can say, and if you know the Lord Jesus, you can sing with Francis Havergal. Nothing to pay, yes, nothing to pay. Jesus has cleared all the debt away, blotting it out with His bleeding hand. Free, forgiven, and loved, I stand. Jesus paid my debt. He took my chastening. Relate to the debtors of redemption. Recognize the demand of redemption. Also revere the deliverer. Of redemption. You know, many people look at the cross and have a sentimental view toward Jesus. It's easy to do. I mean, I remember when the Passion of the Christ came out and people flocked to the to the movie theaters to see that. And I did as well. And you'd have to be a psychopath to not have that crucifixion affect you. It was powerfully done. It was painfully done. And I, I remember as leaving the theater and seeing people wiping their eyes in tears, but the reality is, is that a person can watch such a scene and cry a bucket full of tears and never be changed. Live like the devil in subsequent days. It is a sentimental view toward Jesus. There are only, they are only moved by what was done to the man and not who the man was. But the focus of these verses, it's all on him. Did you recognize it? Verse 2, he. Verse 2, he. Verse 3, he. Verse, uh, verse, uh, verse 4, he. Again and again, he, he, he. It's all about him. It's all about the Lamb of God. It was more about who Jesus is than what He endured. He is the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Redemption uh, is recognition of who Jesus is. Not, not seeing or not uh, having pity or being moved by what was done to Jesus. It's who He is. Notice His healing stripes. Verse number 5, and with His stripes we are healed. I was listening to a preacher years ago, and he preached such a vivid message on this very concept, this very theme here. It, it stayed with me. He pointed about this phrase, he, his, by His stripes we are healed. And he, he called Jesus a strange physician. Think about it. When you go to the doctor and they examine you, they begin to treat you. What if you needed gallbladder surgery and you went to the doctor and they, they, if you do that, then they will pull out the scalpel and they will cut on you. <laughs> They'll cut you. Can you imagine if you went to the doctor and you had, they said you had to have gallbladder surgery and the doctor laid you out on the table there. And then he went into his doctor's bag, he grabbed that scalpel, he started towards you, then all of a sudden he starts cutting himself. 
bizarre, strange physician. But that's exactly how this redemption works with Christ Jesus. He is a strange physician. We were sick, terminally ill, but instead of taking the scalpel of judgment and using it on us, He used it on Himself. And miraculously, we were healed. That's why 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it's the power of God. The world looks at this and says, How's that possible? That He could take your place. That He could pay for your redemption. I have no idea, but that's how God sovereignly has arranged it. He died for me. Oh, my mountain of sin. Oh, my years of vanity and pride, as the song sings, were taken on Him for me. He died my death. The stripes laid across His back by the Roman whip brought healing to my sin-sick soul. It brought life to me. I was dead in trespasses and sin. I was lifeless with no way to connect or please God. And Jesus made me alive through His death and resurrection. He healed me. The chastening of Jesus by the heavy hand of God brought peace into my raging heart. What a mystery the gospel is. His healing stripes... His holy substitution. Look at verse number 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Notice this. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord of heaven took the insurmountable debt that I owed to the holy character of God. The debt I could never pay in a million billion years. In a burning hell writhing in agony. He took that sin and laid it on Jesus. Not only my sin, but the sin of the world. Clearly stated in God's Word. 1 John 2.2 And He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. All of it on Jesus. Truth be told, I had no answer for the condition of my life. I could try to do better. But at my best, I was still a hot mess. A filthy wreck of sin. But Christ came so that my sin might be placed on Him and His righteousness be placed on me. Your sin and my sin. He bore our griefs. He carried our sorrows. He took our place. While the cross is an unimaginable injustice, we who know Him will be forever thankful that the Lord placed on Him the iniquity of us all. His horrifying slaughter. Verse number 7. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep before shearers is done. And he opened not his mouth. He was oppressed. It means he was driven like like an animal. Harassed. Tyrannized. He was afflicted. He was looked down on. Abased and defiled. And yet he opened not his mouth. That's the one. That's such a wonder. You know, as soon as somebody does us wrong, we're quick to mouth off, aren't we? You're not going to do that to me. Boy, I got, I got reminded of that this week. I snapped at somebody for how they addressed me or talked to me. Pretty arrogant, to be honest with you, but I'd had enough or whatever. But 
Well, we're quick, aren't we? Just laugh, open my mouth. You ain't going to talk to me that way. I'm not your Gilligan. It's a long story. but I, I, I'm not your little buddy, you know. Um, but the reality is Jesus held silent his mouth. Held his mouth shut. He said nothing. He said nothing. He, wrote, he answered not a word of rebuke. Not a word of rebuttal. No claim of his innocence. If anybody could have stood up and said, I'm innocent of these charges, it would have been Jesus. He could have opened his mouth and called the winds of the four corners of the world uh, to wipe clean the whole lot of his tormentors into oblivion. He could have called down the stars of heaven to rain down in flaming judgment on the world. He could have called down a legion of angels to destroy the world and set him free. But he stood there in silence. He stood in silence. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. The character of little lambs is they simply innocently follow you anywhere. They follow wherever they're led. They may be led to the chopping block by the farmer with a bloody axe in his hand. He would not resist. Would simply follow along. That's our Lord Jesus who willingly yielded himself to the cross. All the way to the cross for you and me to a horrifying, agonizing, painful death. Why? Why would he do such a thing? Galatians 2.20 tells us, Because the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. Hard as it is to fathom, he loves me. He loves you enough. To bear your sin burden. The astonishment of such redemption caused Charles Wesley to pen. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that thou my God shouldst die for me? A while back I heard of a doctor that had died, his wife mournfully going through the, his practice, his business. He was going through his files and he found, she found a separate file full of documents of basically invoices or bills where people owed him money. He worked in a poor community. And with these bills, on every one of these bills in this particular file, it had these words on it. Too poor to pay, debt forgiven. And then the doctor would sign his name at the bottom. Well, you can imagine this, this uh, wife who's struggling now financially that her husband had suddenly died. She went to a lawyer and to see if there's any, any chance to recoup some of, these, uh, some of these bills that my husband did great work for these people and they never repaid him. You see this stack of bills she told the lawyer they've never been paid. I think we should get the payment for these bills from these people for the services my husband provided them. We should call them and find them and make them pay this debt. The lawyer looked and laughed at her and said, Well, every one of them say the same thing. She said, I know that. Everyone says, too poor to pay, debt forgiven. The lawyer interrupted, No, 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 that's not it. He said every one of them have his signature on it. He said there's not a court in the land 
that would uphold our trying to get the money out of these people. I want you to know that Jesus saw our sinful state. He saw our guilt before God and with His own blood, He signed our pardon. Too poor to pay, debt forgiven, signed Jesus Christ. Debt forgiven, freedom bequeathed, no sin recompense upon them. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes, we're healed. Redemption in Jesus. He did it all. That's why we sing, church. That's why we gather. Because He did so much for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. Bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. With His stripes, we are healed. All we like she could have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord hath laid upon Him the iniquity of us all. He, me, He, me. He did this for me. He did this for you. The redemption of the Lamb of God. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You're here today. And you not know not the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah gave us the gospel just as clear as Matthew did when he detailed the events of the cross. Just as clear as Paul would give us in Romans 8. Isaiah has given us the gospel. And it's the redemption of Christ Jesus. You're here today. You don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. I beg you to believe upon Him. Put your faith and trust in Him. Right there where you stand or sit, whatever the case may be. Call upon the name of the Lord and He will save you. He will forgive you. Most of you know the Lord Jesus. And I like our prayer at the beginning. May God, may God use the words of Isaiah to blow over the hot, the, the cold embers of our heart and give them once again a blaze of love and passion and service for Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for the beautiful, the beautiful description of what you have done for us. And Father, I pray that we would fall more intimately and wonderfully in love with you again. God, we pray for souls that may be in this room without the Lord Jesus. May their eyes be open to see their need. And may they come and embrace the Lamb of God. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Our closing hymn would be near the cross, page number 410. You respond as God's dealt with your heart. You respond, page number 410, Brother Roger.